World Cup coverage rolling on on Soccer and Snow and Smoke, the soccer podcast from ESPN Missoula. I'm Andrew Houghton, getting excited for the biggest sporting event in the world. The World Cup kicking off at the end of this week in Qatar. We'll have coverage for you all tournament long on Soccer and Snow and Smoke as much as we can. All the twists and turns, all the games from the group stage all the way to the final. We'll have analysis from experts. We'll have opinions, commentary as that goes on in Cutter. Joining me today, Chris Chitovitsky for a little bit of preview coverage of the World Cup. Hoping to break it down pretty, uh, pretty granularly for you guys. Get a good look at all the teams going into the World Cup. I want this to be sort of a, a viewer's guide. Just if you're going in blind or if you're going in and you know the big names, the big teams, what to watch for in some of these games, what to watch for in every matchup. Just so, I mean, this is a, as, as a viewing spectacle, Chris, this is one of the, the best in the world because you're going to have games going on all day, every day, especially during the group stage. And then as we get down into the knockouts, the games will get more and more spaced out, but more and more important also. So we just want to... Uh, let you know what to watch for if you're watching some of these games. Chris, first off, thanks for coming in. Yeah, absolutely. Love being here. Real quick, uh, just an update from you on Montana Grizzlies soccer. Chris, of course, the head coach of the Montana Grizzlies soccer team. I feel like I don't even have to introduce you anymore. Uh, you've nice. been in here so you've been Come in on. here so much. Um, but just a quick update on the Montana Grizzlies soccer team before we get into the the analysis. Yeah, um, it's been kind of a how do I put this uh, quiet and depressing week <laughs> of just sitting around and trying to figure out, you know, what's next? How much time do we need off and everything? So um, I feel like we got a good plan together. Uh, we got to get through two weeks of individual evals right now just to see how things look at the end of the season and then give them some time off and then hit the ground running again in January and obviously look into the transfer portal and see if anybody's out there as well. Grind never really stops for you, right? Because the season yeah. just ended, you know, a week or so ago, and now you're already moving on to the next items on your agenda. Yes, yeah, you, and obviously have to do that. Otherwise, we just stop moving. If you stop moving, you stop growing. So, got to keep going. Chris Chitovitsky, head coach of the Montana Grizzlies soccer team. Chris, joining me for a little preview look at Group C and D of the World Cup. That's the way we're going to do it here on Soccer and Snow and Smoke. Hoping to have a bunch of experts in the studio to break down a couple groups each. I picked uh, Group C and D for Chris, and he was excited about it because Group C with Poland and Group D with Australia. Come on, yeah. Uh, I, I loved how that worked out. Yes. So we can start wherever here, but let's just go through it and look at Group C first. An interesting one and, and not one of the tougher groups in the tournament, I don't think, uh, but Argentina is a tournament favorite, and then Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. And Chris, what were your initial thoughts just on how you think this is going to play out? Yeah, um, Argentina wins the group, and then what happens next is honestly going to be really interesting to watch. I feel like a lot of people looked at it first and thought, well, it's going to be Argentina and then possibly Mexico or Poland, depending on how they face up against each other. But I think you need to throw Saudi Arabia in there, uh, especially with how they've prepared. And so it's going to be interesting to see who gets that second spot because if it's classic Poland who always seem to choke on the national stage, then that becomes an issue. And Mexico isn't exactly at the peak of their powers anymore. So it does open a door to a team like Saudi Arabia, who, by the way, halted their national league for weeks on end just so their team could fully prepare. While most teams have played one to two friendlies in the build-up to this World Cup, Saudi Arabia have played six. 
because all of their players play in the domestic league. So for them, it was easy enough to say, all right, we're not playing any games. National team players only together in a camp. You guys play, play, play. And in those six games, they didn't lose any. So I feel like Saudi Arabia's got a young, energetic team that could actually pull off an upset here somewhere. Fascinating race for the second spot. Let's start with Argentina, who I, you know, I think is the clear defined favorite in this group. Do you buy Argentina as a contender for, for the title, though? Yes. Normally, no. Right. But for the first time ever, yes, because they did beat Brazil in the Copa America. So for once, for once, Argentina won a trophy. First time since 1993 they actually win a trophy. So Argentina have won something, and then they turn around and beat Italy as well. We've got the winner of the Euro against winner of the Copa America. So they, they end up beating Italy and trouncing them in that game too. So And at the same time, they're on a 35-game unbeaten streak. And there seems to be an energy and a culture to the team that I've never seen before. Previously, it was individual, individual, individual. Now there seems to be a team plus Messi. And just the team is loaded as you go through it. They've got a goalkeeper who's good. They've got forwards. They've got young forwards who can sub on and score goals as well. And so I feel like Argentina is going to be very, very hard to stop this year. Yeah, and you mentioned the name Lionel Messi. Probably in his final major international tournament, I think Argentina is going to be uh, a sentimental favorite for that reason. Uh, it's sort of the neutral fans' favorite for a lot of people. Walk me through why this team with Messi is different from a lot of other Argentina teams with Messi, and we've seen the heartbreak for those Argentina teams so many times in those major international tournaments before. Yeah, it just seems like previously it was, how can you get the ball to Messi and Aguero and make something happen over there? But there seemed to be a lack of depth sometimes in the midfield. This is what they've done with Messi as you watch them through Copa America and everything else is Messi seems to still play his false nine or as a 10. So Messi's become a creator and he's creating for people like Dybala, like Alvarez, right? And you've got this, it, there's just depth to it all over the place and they seem happy and free playing, but... It wasn't that way necessarily through Copa America where there was some tension to it, but as soon as they won, everything just seems to be more relaxed and the team's flowing and it's a 35-game unbeaten streak. You know, it's unbelievable how good they are right now. Well, that's what you can do with Messi that's so helpful, I'm sure, to an international manager, right? Because you you can put him at whatever role you want, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you can have him play underneath a striker. I mean, you can have him play on the right wing, cutting inside. You can do whatever you want with him and then... That allows you to fill in the gaps around him based on the personnel, just how that fits. Yeah, exactly. And they've done a good job with that also defensively behind him, right? Because if you're going to allow Messi to float sometimes and do his thing, then you've got to be able to cover for him. And they seem to have the team that can cover. And a goalkeeper in Martinez who plays with Aston Villa, who is very, very good. And if you've got a good goalkeeper and you've got a special player and a culture and a special team, then I feel like you can go really far in the World Cup. And they seem to have all of that right now couple more questions about Argentina because I agree with you. I think they are legitimately and fairly one of the favorites in this tournament. How much of it does the winning the Copa America take the pressure off of that team? Massively. Yeah. I think that that was it, right? It was always the hunt for the trophy, and you saw them win it. And not only are they lifting the trophy up, but it seems like they were more comfortable putting the trophy down and just lifting Messi up and being like, look, you finally won an international trophy for the first time in your career. So they were so excited for him to lead Argentina to something. And it's, I, I'm not exactly sure how to, to, to put this, but it, previous years it's always been like Messi needs to do well, Messi needs to do well. Honestly, this Argentina team is just very good. It doesn't just have to be messy. 
where if Messi seems to be off for a game, that's fine. There's enough quality to actually win the game without him. It doesn't have to be kick it to him and hope he takes a good touch beyond somebody in Nigeria and score a beautiful goal. It can be the whole team is good enough to do it. Right, and that's a great segue into the last thing I want to touch on with Argentina. You mentioned some of the other names. Uh, who are the other important players in this team for people to be watching as you watch them play? Well, it, it, if, if you look at Dybala, who is healthy and is able to play, he's another goal scorer. Uh, they've got Di Maria coming back, which I think is wonderful too, and he was very, very good in Copa America as well for them. But then you got Julian Alvarez coming off the bench, who plays with City, who is dangerous and can put in goals as a sub, Right, If he's got to come on, like what a substitute to put on the field. I just feel like the entire spine of that team is good. And then they've got goal scorers all over the place, not just Aguero and Messi, hopefully. They're, they're difference makers all over. Something to watch for Argentina. I agree with Chris. I think clearly, obviously, the favorite to come out of this group C here. And I think they're right up there in sort of the top tier of teams, which is not something that you could ever say about this team. I know they've been to a World Cup final with Messi, but they just never seem to have... That strength, that depth that Chris is talking about. So that's something to watch, certainly, as we're going through the early stages of this tournament. Is what we're analyzing here actually happening for them? Are they having to rely completely on Messi or are other players stepping up and making something of the game? Moving through the rest of the group, you mentioned really interesting race for the second spot. Mexico is a team I think that a lot of people, hopefully a lot of people listening to this podcast, will care about. Uh, They seem like... The favorites, or I guess the slight favorites in the race for that second spot, but you mentioned it, a team not really at the height of their powers. No, it seems to be a team that's fallen away from that. And I remember playing, I remember watching the the World Cup that's burned into my brain because the age I was at was World Cup 98, right? France 98. And just seeing that Mexican team and following them over the years, there's always been this just incredible passion to Mexico and a drive for it. And it's just that, that will take them extra plus They've got veteran players, they've got younger players. Everything about them has always just been exciting and fun to watch, and they always punch above their weight. But that seems to, generation after generation, just fade and fade and fade away. And for the first time ever, I just don't feel in my soul that this is a Mexican team that can actually show up and fight. What are the main issues with the team for you? I just feel like like a lot of teams have gone through right now, everything is cyclical, right? And especially at the international level, you get players for a decade plus if they're good, right? Look at the women's national team, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino. there's been those, and now you see the women's national team is going through that same thing. Cycle's coming to an end, who's next? And they're in this transitional phase, and I feel like Mexico's in this transitional phase too, where Ochoa's gonna play his last World Cup in goal, right? And he is just being, I remember him for, for my entire life. I mean, what a goalkeeper, but should he even be starting? Because there are younger goalkeepers who are better. And so you start looking at that and it's just this, all right, we've got enough older players who Herrera happens to be good, but is he good enough to be starting? Is Tata Martino going to play him? I don't know. And it's just this, I feel like they're caught between, should we rely on our experience or should we give this one to the younger players so that we can be ready for the next World Cup? And I feel like that's the problem they have now. Well, that was the big controversy around the Mexican team, whether Tata Martino was going to take Javier Hernandez to this World Cup or not. And he ended up not, although Chicharito's had a couple good now goal-scoring seasons in MLS for the Los Angeles Galaxy. He's been the guy. I mean, this Mexico team's got a lot of, like you mentioned, guys who are aging out, who are big names. Hector Herrera, Andres Guardado, Ochoa, like Mm -hmm. you mentioned, in goal. Uh, Chicharito's the the number one sort of exemplar of that class of players. Yeah, and if you look back 2000, 
10 and just uh, it, it just seems to be they were young they were energetic they were exciting this just happens to be a loss of identity i feel like and they they need a transitional phase and sadly this might be it and for a team that's made the last 16 of almost every world cup they've been in and they've been cursed because they can never get beyond it yeah this might be the one where they don't even get out of the group because it's that problematic so moving on, who, which you you mentioned Saudi Arabia, you mentioned Poland, the other two teams. Which yeah. of those two is best positions in your mind to take advantage if it turns out that this isn't the Mexico team that makes it out of the group? Uh, I think it's the first game to watch, which is Mexico against Poland, right? I think it's going to be one of those two at the end of the day, um, especially Poland with Lewandowski. But my, uh, Lewandowski, who has scored so many goals and is world-renowned for his goal-scoring ability, has never scored in a World Cup. Never. And so... <laughs> And again, being Polish, growing up in Poland, being born there, being following the national team forever, it's always an excitement going through just watching them play in qualification. But when they get to the World Cup itself, I don't know what it is. It's almost similar to being a Minnesota sports fan where you're like, oh, Vikings are good. Oh, Vikings will always choke at the end. No matter what, something terrible is going to happen, right? Um, something bad will happen at some point. Vikings are going to miss a field goal at the key time against the Saints, and that's why they're not going to make it through. It's something terrible will happen, and that is always the case. And I called my dad in Poland yesterday, and I'm like, hey, what is the feel like around this national team? Oh, we're going to be terrible. Oh, it's not going to be good. It's going to be the same thing it always is. But, I mean, we were just the third highest goal scorers in qualification, finished second behind England, beat Sweden, look good. Everything seems okay. He's like, nope, it'll be bad. It always is. And that's just the way that people view the national team. But it's the last World Cup for Lewandowski. There are some other good players in uh, Szymanski and Zielinski. But there just seems to be a little lack of depth in the back line that could hurt them. But for once, if you stop Lewandowski, that might not be enough because there are some other players who could score on you. Chris Chitovisky, head coach of the Montana Grizzlies soccer team, joining us for a World Cup preview, looking at groups C and D in the World Cup. Chris, a couple more questions about that that Poland team, and I appreciate your insight here. How do they set up around Lewandowski? Because it's another scenario where you have this one player in the team who is world class. I mean, one of one of the best five or ten players in the world um, around. I, I guess in a setup um, that's not a traditional power, right? Where maybe the the talent level around him is not the same as it would be if he was playing for Brazil. Yeah, and I think you just nailed it right there. Why, why does he score so many goals? Because he played at Bayern and he played at Barcelona, two of the top teams in the world, the best midfielders in the world, or the best wingers in the world. Lewandowski isn't going to be, let me pick up the mid... The, if I drop into midfield, pick up the ball, I can dribble through everybody and score, right? Right. That, that's not him. He's a in-the-box powerhouse. So somebody has to feed him. If you don't have people feeding him, then you don't get goals. And that, that's been always the issue with Poland, is who is going to feed, feed this world-class striker? And... We've been lacking those players, but maybe in Zielinski who plays at Napoli, maybe in Szymanski who plays at Feyenoord. These are good players who can make things happen, and maybe that's enough just to get them through. We're not talking about Poland's going to have a successful run in the World Cup. We're talking about beat Mexico to get out of the group. That's all it is, one game. And if you do enough in that one game and then take care of business with Saudi Arabia too, maybe you can get out. That's exactly right. It has to be so frustrating as a, as a fan of that team to know that you – um, have this world-class player and then y- you see sort of the the truism born out on the field really that it takes 11 players certainly yes um last team in the group saudi arabia i think probably you know this is the order that a lot of people would analyze a, this, this group in and, and have saudi arabia down there at the bottom 
you brought up in the intro a, a team that you think might might be surprising. Yes. They are, I would say, the best team coming out of Asia, which is a lot to say considering Japan comes out of Asia, right? But in qualification, who finished first in that group comfortably? And the only reason that Japan beat them in the second to last game is because Saudi Arabia already qualified with three games to spare and played the secondary lineup. It's the only reason that they lost to, to that they actually lost to Japan in that game. So this is a team that finished ahead of Japan, finished ahead of Australia, comfortably won the group, rolled through everybody, is youthful, energetic, pretty much the same squad that was in the last World Cup, that is now coming back. Everybody is homegrown in the same league. They've paused the league, like I said, just so they can get more friendlies than everybody else. And they have a coach in Renard who's coached Zambia quite well to an AFCON championship, who's coached Morocco through the group stage into the round of 16. This is a guy who takes over teams that are not necessarily powerhouses in all sorts of different continents, and yet somehow pulls off miracles with them. So I think they've got the coach to do it. They've got the league structure to do it. They come from the same climate. They're all accustomed to that, which I think is going to play big time into this. And they've prepared the team really well. So they, they could be a dark horse in this group that if they, they're not going to win the first game, in my opinion. But if Poland and Mexico beat up on each other, that's the door that they need just to walk through and get out of the group. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Uh, the home continent advantage is, is so statistically significant in World Cups, which is crazy because uh, there's such a small sample size, right? Three yeah. games in the group and then you're going into knockout stages, but it shows up. In every World Cup, I mean, if you're playing, uh, you know, European teams do better when the, the World Cup is in Europe. For Saudi Arabia, not only is they have the Asian home field advantage here, um, it's it's really close and it's really similar, right, on the yeah, exactly. on the Arabian Peninsula there. Um, so that could be something to, to watch, certainly. Um, any players to watch for, for Saudi Arabia in particular? Uh handful I'll and again I don't want to butcher people's names so I've had to write this down very carefully for myself right Al Sharani who's an outside back if you saw a picture of him you'd be like there's Marcelo from Brazil like 10 years ago he looks identical plays the same way as a left back and get up the field can serve can create he does a very good job um, there's a midfielder named Kano who actually has been in some sort of contractual issues apparently in the league so he hasn't been playing in the league but they keep pulling it up to the national team he's a very good midfielder who can make things tick over and I would say that's about it when you look at key, key players. But the big thing with Saudi Arabia is it, it's a team. It's a team of solid people who have been together, who enjoy being together, who have played two World Cups together. And the league has been paused just so they can continue building their culture. And it's not like previous Argentinas that we've talked about, hey, take these superstars, throw them together, let's hope they win. This is an actual team from the same continent who have paused their league play so that they can prepare and have been exceptionally successful in qualification. That is the key piece. They powered through qualification, and I feel like that's why they are a dark horse when it comes to this group. Most people are writing them off completely. I don't think so. Wouldn't be surprised if they beat Poland, but that's my growing up <laughs> mentality, right? That's the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Showing through right. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's so important, especially for national teams. I mean, every extra week, every extra day that you get to work with these players who are coming from different clubs and different styles of play, of course, when they're playing most of the year, um, any chance you can get to work with them, um, sort of instill the tactical system, instill the, the team chemistry is, is so important. So a hidden advantage for Saudi Arabia there. Uh, 
Chris, what are, what are the big games to watch in this group? Or what are the games that you'll really be watching? Well, I'm watching, of course, Mexico-Poland. And I'll watch that game to begin with depressed, knowing that Poland's probably going to lose. But then maybe I'll change my mind. But that's been beat into me, into my psychology forever. But I think Mexico-Poland is that opening one. Um, Saudi Arabia-Argentina will be an interesting one. It's probably the one that they didn't want to start with, right? But you got to get through Argentina at some point, so you might as well play them right off the bat, rip the Band-Aid off, and then focus on the other ones. But... Yeah, at that point it becomes how Saudi Arabia going to do with Poland, how are they going to do with Mexico. I think, I think those are the the key one to begin with. Of course, is Mexico Poland because that just might secure a second spot for somebody. Huge game that one is uh, Tuesday, November twenty second. So Tuesday uh, looks like nine a.m. Mountain Time. So not the worst yeah. time slot uh, for a game in this World Cup. Certainly, uh, Mexico Poland. Uh, also. Love to watch Argentina and Mexico. I think, you know, yeah. I don't know how great of a matchup that'll be, but just yeah. uh, in terms of the tradition, uh, the history there, yes. um, where Mexico considers themselves to be, yes. maybe in the, in the, on the world stage. Um, so that'll be a great one to watch. Chris, I'm not going to ask you to, to predict the final order here, but I think we're, we're pretty clear where it's going to be Argentina at the top, and then that Mexico Poland game is going to be maybe a huge decider for yeah. who comes out of the, the group. Yeah, I think so. And if Saudi Arabia click, who knows? Maybe they can be that dark horse that somehow, some way gets through it. Moving on here to Group D, I uh, want to thank Chris Chitovitsky, of course, head coach of the Montana Grizzlies soccer team, for coming in on Soccer and Snow and Smoke for a little World Cup preview analysis. We'll continue to have analysis and reaction all throughout the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Uh, unique event this year, having it in the winter, pausing the club season, bringing all these teams together, and then we'll mm. throw them back apart again and back into their club seasons. But we'll we'll take a break here for the World Cup. Chris, moving forward into Group D, sort of similar composition here in yes. that we have a team who I think is going to be one of the pre-tournament tournament favorites to win the entire thing at the top of the group, and then maybe uh, a scramble for that second spot where we don't have a lot of other traditional powers below France. Yes. Yeah, I think France is definitely the team to watch out for, and they are, over the past 20 years, I think, being one of the best national teams on the world stage. Um, But, however, they are facing the curse, which is nobody's won a back-to-back World Cup since 58-62 with Brazil, and previously, I think it was Italy, um, 34-38, something like that. But... Um, they, they've got to contend with that and the fact that it's so hard to win a World Cup but what a squad because they've added Benzema into it which is <laughs> who's just recently been named the best male player in the world right so you've got Benzema coming in to join um, Mbappe up top to join Griezmann sitting underneath him potentially as a 10 who scored six goals in eight games in qualification and then not only that but who has been peaking lately in Serie A and scoring tons of goals Giroud so now Mbappe comes off, right? Benzema comes off, and you got Giroud coming on, who can now score so many goals out of the air. France are dangerous from every single position. If they decide to go around you, they can score in the air. If they want to go through you, they can do that. They can do the counter. They can possess. They are just almost the perfect, the perfect team. Yeah, I think one of the deepest national team pools in the world. I mean, I think when you look at the young talent coming out of France every year, it's just incredible, which gives yeah. them a constant wave of players to sort of back up those stars. I mean, yes. to, to form a defensive line with, to form a midfield with. Let's talk about this really quickly because it doesn't really have to do with this group. I think France and Argentina are both in the same group. Of These are the, the number one top-line favorites. 
to win the World Cup. I think a lot of people would put Brazil also in that group. Is yes. anybody else in that group of, of three for you? Maybe Germany, because you never know with Hansi Flick, right? I think he was a brilliant coach with Bayern. They're going to have counter issues, apparently, from what it looks like. However, I think Germany's going to be a good one as well. But Brazil is so exciting, too. And who are the top two teams coming out of that continent? It was Brazil, Argentina, both undefeated. I think when those two play each other, it's just spectacular. But then France, definitely, coming out of Europe, could be the ones. I think France is definitely the team to watch coming out of Europe. Yeah, Germany, I, they're always going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're a little bit down this year. Yeah, especially um, up top. It's just, I mean, if you're a main striker, it's Kai Havertz. It's not the same as Oliver Bierhoff, Lucas Podolski, or anybody like that who they've had in the past. And, oh, Thomas Muller will score goals. Tom, Thomas Muller's getting old. <laughs> well, and right, and it's not. It's also... More uh, more relevantly, it's not the same thing as Kylian Mbappe or, or Neymar, exactly. you know. Yeah. Um, so I think they're a little bit down this year. I don't think England is quite there. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. But I think that's why excitement is so high, yes. particularly for Argentina and for Brazil, because it seems like there aren't a ton of other teams sort of in that top tier of of, of teams with them this year. Yeah, exactly. And it's just been a while since we've had Argentina and Brazil just almost so dominant. They right. seem to disappear after a while, too. Remember, it was Germany beat Brazil 7-1, right? And it just seemed like all of a sudden Brazil vanished. But now they're back, and they look just thrilling to watch at times, with a heck of a coach, by the way. Walking through the rest of this group behind France, uh, Australia, Denmark, Tunisia, is there a team that you would have uh, in the at the top of the list for the second <laughs> spot? 100% Denmark. I yeah. think they, they are my dark horse for the tournament, too. Because, again, no special players, but, boy, is there just a lot of quality people, quality depth. And the whole Christian Eriksen, he goes down in the Euros. Everybody thinks he may have died on the field. And now, for some reason, he's back playing miraculously and playing exceptionally well. I mean, that they have something to bond around. Plus, it's always just a team with a good culture and a country who just has so much pride in what they do and great goalkeeper in Schmeichel. And everything else moving forwards, there's just, again, I can't point out one brilliant player, but I can tell you everybody's good on that team. And they should comfortably get second place. And then potentially, who's the only team who in the Nations League beat France twice? Twice, Denmark. yep. Denmark. So <laughs> you can't write them off and say, oh, they're not good enough. There's something about that team who they can go really far in this World Cup. Yeah, and it'll be super important to, uh, you know, maybe if they can upset France again, it's super important to come out of the group as the winner as opposed to the second-place team just based on who you're going to play in the round of 16. It's a team that's got a lot of players who are playing in the top leagues in Europe. They have somebody to rally around in Christian Eriksen. Walk me through what your evaluation of Christian Eriksen is as a player, right? Because he's not... He's a wonderfully creative player. He's not quite a 10. Yeah. Uh, he, he's like a 10-8 a hybrid. I mean, he but he, he influences the game really well and, and really a lot. Yeah, exactly. And he can get in the box, too. Yeah, he, He's good enough to be box-to-box, but he's not going to run the entire game. But you get him on the ball, and he can just unlock defenses, right? It would be, if you have a good six, win the ball, get it to Christian, and let him make something happen for you in the midfield. Not necessarily a dribbler, more of a distributor. And then, as we saw for Man United over the weekend, he can get in the box, he can score goals, he can create that too. Yeah, it's a really interesting team to watch. I think they're the trendy dark horse for a lot of people. I think a lot of eyes will probably be on that France-Denmark game. I mean, it's a team that has a lot of big game experience now with this generation of players. Like you mentioned, Kasper Schmeichel yeah. in goal, uh, Christian Eriksen in midfield, everybody around them. Uh, it, it's a team to watch, certainly. And 
Yeah, when you look at the lineup, it's a good lineup. I mean, Hoybier as well, who plays with Spurs, who's yep. an unbelievable ball-winning midfielder. I mean, he can cover, like, everything as a six alone. But then you, you look at them up front, and it's not like, hey, Martin Braithwaite, who was at Barcelona, now at Espanyol. It's, there's nothing special there, but yet, for some reason, every time they get to a Euros or a World Cup, Damsgaard's going to score a lot. Uh, maybe Dolzberg's going to score a lot. Braithwaite comes up and scores a lot. There's just something about the culture of that country that makes them so much fun to watch. Well, again, and there's no... Uh None of those guys jump off the page at you, no. but all of those guys are playing in the top leagues in Europe. Yes, and consistently playing. Not right. like coming off the bench. Like you look at some of the other countries, you're like, oh, okay, they have somebody at Barcelona, but he subs on in the last minute of the game. This is just the consistent role players and good ones. Do you think that Australia or Tunisia have the chance to, to jump up and take that second spot? Um no, I don't, sadly. Okay. <laughs> Especially with Australia. I mean, following that, I grew up in that culture as well, and falling in love with those early years of Mark Viduca, Harry Kuehl. We just had a team that was romantic and fun, and as an underdog could make it to a World Cup, as the kangaroo could throw on those boxing gloves and throw some punches and maybe knock out Italy, maybe knock somebody out, maybe Tim Cahill's going to do something special. All of that is gone. It just seems to be, again, a transitional phase for Australia. For one, they've made multiple World Cups in a row, which is great. It's been almost for the past 20 years, Australia's always there on the scene. But for the first time ever, I think we've got our weakest squad there. Um, scraped through behind Saudi Arabia, behind Japan, had to play UAE in a playoff. Whoever wins that plays the fifth best South American team to get to the World Cup. And Australia had to scrap through that and somehow made it. I just don't think there's enough there. I mean, our starting center backs happen to be like one's playing in Scotland, the other one's playing in some league that I'm not even sure of. So it just seems to be a weak team. Maybe there's enough pride that you can pull something together. But if Aaron Moy is your starting six and the person you want to build a team around, I mean, Moy's beyond his prime now and does a decent job with Celtic, but it's not the same player that he used to be. And so it's, it's going to be a struggle for Australia. Right. And they have to go through Asian qualifying now instead of they used to just be exactly. in, in Oceania, right? Yeah. And that would, yep. you know. In New Zealand and you're good to go. Right. Um, so so good for them then certainly for making it because I think we see the the Asian um, qualification group get stronger and stronger every year. Uh, I don't think that Australia will have any sort of home continent advantage uh, playing in Qatar, although yeah. they are part of the same confederation. Yeah. Um, so there's that to watch out for. Um, it, it's too bad because they're they're a team that's been sort of an iconic part of some World Cups in the past. Yeah, the classic I, underdog, right? Yeah, and they're a fun team to root for because you got the bright yellow jerseys yes. and the Socceroos and everything. Yeah. I think, you know, for a neutral fan, uh, a lot to root for there, but maybe not this year. Yeah, and there were personalities there that you could right. root for too. You'd be like, oh, wow, Tim Cahill's just special and fun, and it's just, there's just nothing there. And then Tunisia, sort of the other team at the bottom of this group, where do you see them? Yeah, Tunisia is, when you look at them long-term throughout Africa over the past 20 years, they're, they're not like Egypt with the Mo Salah. They're not Cameroon. They're not Algeria. They're not Morocco. Or, it, it's just nothing special and glitzy, and yet who consistently makes the World Cup? Tunisia always make it. Um, they, sadly, in this one, again, I feel like they're weak coming into it because they barely made it into the World Cup, had to beat Marley in a home and away playoff just to see to who actually makes it to the World Cup. But they they end up winning because Miley score an own goal through Musa Sissoko in the second leg, and then they just hold on and get it done. They will defend extremely well. They will be very organized, very disciplined, but they just don't have goal scorers. 
they barely made it through and made it into the World Cup because they don't have goal scorers. So maybe the dour game of the World Cup might be Australia versus Tunisia because it's 0-0 and who can score? I don't know. <laughs> but I just something about Tunisia this year just doesn't scream, hey, here's a team who can make it work, uh, possibly. But I just feel like France and Denmark are probably pretty happy with the setup in this group. Right, so if that's the evaluation, the big game to watch in this group is going to be probably France and Denmark going at it again. Yeah, exactly. Do you take anything away from, from them beating France twice in the Nations League? I mean, not only yes. they, they prove they can do it, obviously, that's the big thing. Yeah. Uh, but anything tactically that they can do in, in that game? No, I just feel like Denmark, again, proved that they can do it. And there's a quiet, confident belief. My issue always with the Argentinas of previous years and the France of previous years is they'll almost strut in there with their cockiness and be like, well, because we're France, you should lose to us. What? Why are you giving us competition here, right? Um, it, that always seems to be the case with them. And even with France in the last Euros where Switzerland knock them out in a shootout, it's because Switzerland have that same thing which Denmark have, which is just a brilliant goalkeeper, right? And a team that believes and has beaten you before and can do it again. So they just, there's something about them that can pull off an upset. Yeah, Kasper Schmeichel hasn't started this year all that well at, at Nice after yeah. transferring from Leicester City in the summer, which sort of threw Leicester City into disarray as well yeah. for, a, for a long time there. But he's a guy who always plays better, I think, on the national team yes. stage, or he he's not going to be beaten by the moment, exactly. uh, at least in yeah, those in those big experience. national team games. I mean, yeah, he, he's won a Premier League title. Um, he's been through a bunch of big games with Denmark. Um, he's a, he's a really great leader. I mean, he's a guy who captained Leicester City for a long time yeah. after West Morgan left. Uh, they just have that sort of quality and solidity all yeah. through the team because Christian Eriksen, again, another guy who's been through a lot. Martin Brathwaite, even somebody up top. He's a yeah. guy who's been through a lot yeah. uh, as sort of a, a replacement guy at Barcelona for a little while there. It'll be an interesting one to watch. Chris Chitovitsky, head coach of the Montana Grizzlies soccer team, joining me, Andrew Houghton, for a little soccer and snow and smoke World Cup preview. This is what we want to do here in the week before the World Cup. We want to break it down for you. We want to... Mm help you watch the World Cup smarter because I know that uh, there are a lot of people who are going to watch a lot of soccer this winter who maybe don't watch a ton of soccer, maybe don't know who these players are, don't know what to expect from these teams, what to expect from these games. So that's our goal here. I want to thank Chris for coming in, taking the time, breaking it down. I, You know, I asked him just, I want you to be the expert here. Hmm. Uh, and he came in and did a great job. He's the head coach of the Montana Grizzlies soccer team, uh, Polish by birth and, and lived for a long time in Australia, or not right. a long time, but spent some of your childhood in Australia. Yeah. Uh, so he was the guy we wanted to come in and evaluate Group C and D for soccer and snow and smoke. We will continue our World Cup preview coverage all week long here, and we'll continue to have analysis, uh, reaction, breakdowns all winter long. As the FIFA Men's World Cup gets kicked off from Qatar, I believe, November 20th, which would make it six days from today. So it's going to be a busy winter here on Soccer and Snow and Smoke. Chris, thank you for helping me uh, get that kicked off. Absolutely, yeah. And it's going to be, we're going to have the World Cup, we're going to have Thanksgiving. Next thing you know, it's Christmas, because all you're going to do is watch games every single day. I mean, talk about a brilliant way to kill that time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be, it's, it's not the best time zone. Yeah, <laughs> for us to for us to have it in. Yep. Uh, but I'm looking forward to uh, just having those games to talk about and analyze yes. and watch. And I'm so excited for all the narratives 
that are going to come out of this World Cup. We just covered, I think, two of the teams who really I would not be surprised to see playing in that World Cup final. What a game that would be. Argentina oh, Argentina and France. And France? Oh, what a goodness, game. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, Chris will be back in the studio, hopefully, at some point during this uh, during this tournament. Uh, he's uh, a great guy, a standout guest here on Soccer and Stone Smoke, so we'll continue to have him on as we bring you analysis from the World Cup. Chris, man, thank you again. Thank you.